All right, guys, it is, uh, it's cool to be with you here. Let me see if I can get this silly computer to work in here because I have a chart on here that I'm trying to use. And uh, Today's lesson, we're talking about a life-changing legacy. At least that's the title. What we are really kind of dealing with is how you can make a difference in the lives of others through your sharing of your faith and you living for Jesus. And I just want to start with the idea that you can't have a life-changing legacy if your life hasn't changed. And a lot of us have this desire to, uh, to, to make a difference in the lives of others because God made us to have a purpose. When you talk with people who commit suicide, and by the way, your age group is the highest suicide rate of all age groups. And over and over again, the reason we find that young people commit suicide is because of a lack of purpose. They feel like there's no hope. So you want to make a difference, but the problem is sometimes you want to make a difference but you don't allow God to make a difference in you first. So I want to just preface all of this by saying this this really starts before we can reach out to anybody with anything meaningful and share anything. Before you can share something, you have to have it, don't you? We got one of our friends that became a Christian when he was your age. I haven't saw this kid. He's at the retreat this weekend. But I haven't saw him in probably 12 or 15 years. The last time I saw him, you know, he was, he was a fairly, you know, probably at that time 20 or 25 years old. But he's been living in a different state, and he's been homeless because of his decisions that he was going to do what he wanted to do. He thought it was going to bring fun, and he, you know, lived on an Indian reservation with an Indian chick and, you know, got involved in the whole Indian culture, became a person who had struggles with drug addiction, ended up in a homeless shelter, and that's where he came from when he came here. The truth is, when he came here, we had to share with him money to buy him a bus ticket. You know why we had to do that? Because he had nothing to share. Whenever he moves here, he has to move in with somebody else, somebody else's home. We have to share a home with him. You know why we have to share a home with him? Because he has nothing to share. Down the line, that's the truth. And he is now, my son's age 40, but whenever I spent most time with him, he was your age. So here's the thing, guys. Things will just not naturally get better. And you won't have something to share that's good without allowing God to make a difference in you. So I want to challenge you to make sure that you guys take this seriously and go, man, I want to make a difference in the lives of others, but that means I have to be different. Now, I want to just give you an idea as we talk about passing on our legacy. Sometimes in church growth and as we try to build our youth group, we can very easily want to have someone who, you know, let's, let's go out and, and teach the Bible to somebody and let's baptize them. But if you teach somebody and you baptize them, but they don't really have a commitment to God, you don't have a lot, do you? Let me ask you, if you could, in your youth group, if you could add, if you could have somebody, let's say you got somebody in your youth group that for one year, you knew that for a year that they could baptize 365 people. If you had a person to have a, if you are that person in your youth group and you could baptize 365 people, as opposed if you had somebody in your youth group during that time that only baptized two people, which would you choose as far as to grow your youth group? If you could have somebody, one person that baptizes 365 people, but they, they baptize them, then go on to the next, and or you have someone who baptizes only two people, but those two people are radically committed, which would you pick? Tell me, right? The two, okay? Why would you pick the two? 
Got to say it loud. They're committed, but does that, what, what does that do? If, you're, if the goal is to grow your youth group, why would you pick the guy with two? It's going to continue. Let me give you a real quick walk down through here. And this, this, is, this is what happens if you guys are people who simply have your friends and they come to church with you and their friends are baptized, but neither you or they are really committed to helping each other be disciples. You just sort of go to youth group. At the end of the first year, and I'll help you, you guys can help me with, with the math. If you have somebody that baptizes 365 people, at the end of one year, how many people do you have in your youth group? Not, not very good at math. If you, if you are in your youth group, if you have you, and you're, let's say that you're the guy, you're starting, a, we'll say you're starting your youth group. If you're the person that baptizes 365 people, one person a day, or 300, whatever, we have 52 people, however, one, if, you, if you baptize them, you baptize 350 people in a year, at the end of one year, how many people in your youth group? 351, great, all right. Well, let me just give you, okay, and, and, and we're going to go because my chart, I don't know, they've got 365 at, at the end of, uh, is rather than one, one per day, but basically you have 365. If you're the person who only reaches two people, but they're radically committed and you guys are radically committed at the end of one year, how many people do you have? Okay, you have three, and, and let's say you, if you even just reach one, let's go, let's cut that back to where you don't even reach two, you just reach one person. If you reach one person, they're radically committed, how many people do you have in your youth group? Two, okay. So at the end of year two, you, let's say you had 365, we're going to just round it off for mathematics. At the end of year one, the person who baptized, you've got somebody coming every day, if the one person, they're crazy, you got 365. At the end of year two, how many people do you have in your youth group? 365 and 365 equals... 730, okay? Okay, for the rest of you who don't do well at math, if you baptize two but they're radically committed and you have two plus two, you have five, all right. You have four, okay, if we just go to the four, all right? At the year three, if you add, if you had, at the end of three years, you baptized, at the end of one year, you have 365, the next year, you have 730. Third year, you have how many? 1,095, okay? If you baptize two that are radically committed and those two reach two others at the end of that, the first year, you, during the second year, you have four. If those four reach four others, how many do you have? So at this point, your youth group for the baptizer, you've got 1,095 in your youth group. For the person who is really making a disciple of Jesus, you have eight. Which one looks more successful at this point? Let me walk you through what happens in this. At the, year four, at the year four, if you are adding 365 a year, you go from 1095 to 1460. Year five, you go to 1825. In year six, in your youth group, you have 2,190. Year seven, you have 2,555. Year eight, you have 2,920. Year nine, you have 3,885. Year 10, you have 3,650 people in your youth group. More people than there is any venue in this area that could handle. Now then, let's walk down through 10 years of the disciple maker to where you are reaching someone, but you're making sure that you're helping pass on your legacy, and they do the same. Year one, you have two. Year 
two, you have four. Year three, you have eight. Year four, you have 16. Year five, you have 32. Year six, you have 64. Year seven, you have 128. Year eight, you have 256. Year nine, you have 512. Year 10, you have 1,024. So at the end of 10 years, it is 1,024 for the person who is passing on their legacy as opposed to the one who is just getting people into the youth group. 3,000 people, 3,600 in the youth group, 1,000 are passing it on. But let's look at the next five years. If you're adding 365 at the end of year 10, you now have in year 11, you have 4,015, year 12, 4,380, year 13, 4,745, year 14, 5,110, year 15, 5,475, year 16, 5,840. If you add Passing on the legacy at the year 10, we said you have 1,024. Year 11, you have 2,048. Year 12, you have 4,096. Year 13, you have 8,000. Year 14, you have 16,000. Year 15, you have 32,000. Year 16, the person who lives committed in passing on their legacy has 65,000 people in their youth group as opposed to 5,000. You add one more year, so year 17, you'll have about 6,500 in your baptize a person a day, and you'll have 130,000 if each person passes on that legacy. What I'm telling you is the key to being able to make a difference for Jesus in this world with every person being blessed is knowing that you're raising them up to bless someone else. Now, I'm going to walk through, and it's really what CMU, it's what Jesus is all about. I want you to turn to your Bibles or on your phones or whatever you have to 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. And as we look through this, I'm going to go through... Four or five things, I think five things, I'm looking at my notes here, five things that are necessary for you to become someone who passes on this blessing to others, to where you're leaving a legacy, and when we get finished, rather than having three or four churches that are here, we'll have 30 or 40 churches, and literally, guys, if you get this down by the time that you are, you know, out of high school ministry and out of college ministry, conceivably, we would have to rent an arena to have this conference. But it doesn't happen by accident. So I want to give you four things. I want to read the verse, and I want you guys to write these down. I'm going to cover them pretty quickly, all right? In 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people people who will be able to pass them on to others also. Five things that you've got to do if you're going to have this passed on. If you're going to make this church, and for some of you, you know, how many of you, let me see for those that are from the crossing side of this, how many of you are thinking about going on a church plant? Raise your hand if, if, you're, if you're thinking about that, okay? Raise it high, okay? Uh, you know, quite a few. And for the rest of you that, that are not thinking about going on a church plant, I really want to challenge you just to go, what are you thinking? Not because everybody has to go on a church plant, but there has to be this view that is, if, you're, if, you're a, if you are a follower of Jesus who doesn't care about lost people, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're a fake. Because real followers of Jesus, it means to be like them, not just to simply go through ritual with them. 
So the challenge for you is to make sure that you're going, okay, I really want to be like Jesus, but how do I make sure that I can be that kind of person? The first thing that Paul tells Timothy that he has to do, this young guy that he's training, he says you have to make sure that you allow God's grace to make your relationship with him strong. He says, Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You see, sometimes you don't think you can do what God knows you can do. And you don't think about what God has done for you very much, so you don't think about what God could do. You heard me guys say, I grew up as a messed up kid, and I really never expected to amount to anything. I really never thought I would have anything that I have now. I kind of thought that maybe I'd get married, and, and, and I knew I'd get married, but I thought I'd probably you know, work at a factory, probably get divorced because of my compulsive stupidity and the way that I'd live. And nobody would ever know that Robert Cox lived on this planet. But yet when I look what happened when I really gave myself to God, I get to have these incredible things happen in my life. I get to be a part of a church that's changing lives, and I get to be here with my wife, and I get to be here with my, my daughter and my son who are our campus minister and serve as our youth ministers, and, and their wife, and their, you know, with RJ and with, with Hannah. And then I get to look out, and I see Jackson out here. And I saw Kai earlier, and Gabriel's over there, and if he can't, probably can't hear me if he's still got his headphones on. He was over there fortnight, you know, earlier. He may be listening now. That's for a later time. But I get to know that they're going to do something good. You know, they've had good lives. And someday after I'm gone, we'll get to be in heaven together and all kinds of cool things forever. But that didn't happen because I deserve it. It happened because God is good to me. When I listen to him, he does good stuff in my life. And for some of us, because we never really appreciate what God has been for us, we're just sort of like, you guys ever, do you guys know a, a, a spoiled brat? And you know what I mean? That's at least the terminology. You ever guys know a spoiled brat that their mommy and daddy give them everything? They've got it really good, and, but yet they don't have a clue they've got it good. They just sort of think, take things for granted. You know, they got, they've got somebody, a, a dad maybe, that is, has served them and loved them and did everything for them, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got a dad, but, but still they, they, they just expect to be able to do what they want to do and get what they want, and if they don't get it, they're kind of like little pouty two-year-olds. There was a guy named Perry Pipes in my high school that was like that. Rich kid. And he was a nice kid until he didn't get something he wanted. Then he reverted back to this little child like a big infant. Well, you can be that spiritually too. To where God can put you in a great church with people around you and they're doing everything for you, but you're sort of back, set back in pout mode. And by the way, this has nothing to do with your intelligence. Perry finished in the top five in our class. A top five guy that acted like a five-year-old when things, he had no gratitude for anything. And so I'm challenging you to, listen, if you're going to pass something on, you've got to know what God has done in your life and what God is going to do. And if you will follow him, he's going to give you great marriages. If you'll marry a disciple of Jesus that's serious, then I'm telling you, you'll have a relationship that will endure. It doesn't mean you won't have problems. You're going to find that God is going to be able to work in your life, and he's going to get, be able to give you employment opportunities. Because you see, when you respond to Jesus and you listen to him, he teaches you how to be a person that is reliable and trustworthy. He teaches you how to have influence. And people in our world want influence. And just on and on and on, God will do good things. But if you're going to pass something on, it starts with realizing, man, God's given you something great that you can pass on. doesn't mean you don't have any problems. It doesn't mean that life isn't hard sometimes. It just means that in this life, good things are going to continue to happen until the greatest thing happens when you leave it.
The second thing Timothy says is, listen, I want you to know that you need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And then he says, you need to make sure, he says, Timothy, my dear son, if you're going to pass on the good things to other people, then you've got to have a relationship with somebody as a spiritual father or mother to where it's more than just you're going through the, you know, this is my youth leader, or this is the person that leads my small group. You have to adopt them as a spiritual parent, and they have to adopt you as a spiritual child. That you pass things on not through responsibility. Any youth leader or any person of influence who tries to make people do things because I'm in the position and that's the way it is supposed to be, just do it, is doomed to fail. It never works. You see, I had a friend who had a really successful business, and he could make the people do whatever he wanted to because, because he had a paycheck over their head. But I told him one time, I said, you know, it's great for your business. You can influence people because you're the boss, and if you don't give them the paycheck, they don't have any money. But what do you do when you're in church work, where you're in youth ministry, or you're in adult ministry, and you don't have a paycheck? You tell them, do what I say because the position I'm in, that doesn't work. Nobody responds to that garbage. The only way that you can get them to respond is through having a relationship with you to where they know that you authentically care about them. And people who want to make disciples and reach people because they're from position of of superiority or position of, of power, I'm the youth leader or I'm the one that knows the most if you're a student, it's doomed to fail. you got to love people and have an intimate relationship with them. you got to care about them. A third thing he says is, is that you need to make sure that as you have this relationship with this person that you're choosing as a father or a mother figure to say, man, they're going to be my role model. Or if you're in that father, mother, older brother, sister, where you're going to be reaching somebody else, you have to make sure that the person you're imitating is someone who is imitable. Because you see, if you don't pick the right person to be like, if you don't pick the right person to be like, you're going to end up where they are. I've got friends, guys. One of my my son's best friends growing up is a guy that decided that he was going to choose not the spiritual people that he put in his life, but instead he was going to pick the heroes in his life or the people in his life who were the the thugs. I mean, they they were just literally thugs, not just some kind of, that's not just derogatory. I mean, it's the people that, that had this idea that they were cool and they were involved in things that gave them money at the moment, more money than anybody that's a high school kid ought to have as, as they deal the drugs. And that sounded, it looked really good for a moment. But I read a post that his son wrote. My son actually read a post that his son, the guy's name was Cameron, that his son wrote to him. And it began by saying, listen, Dad, it's not all the things, what was it, all the things that you, it basically said, Dad, you want me to be, you want to be proud of me now, and you don't even know me. You want me to appreciate you, and you were never there. You remember that bike that you bought me when third grade? I thought you'd be the one that would teach me to ride it, but instead some stranger does. Dad, I was thinking that maybe one Saturday morning you'd show up and not lie to your son and your daughter again. It's not the things that you did so bad that hurt us. It's the things that you didn't do that hurt us. And he is now in prison, and I don't know all of the charges, but we have been told that the prison sentence that he is in now could leave him there until he is so old that when he gets out, he won't even be able to function. 
He had people in his life. He had me in his life. He had our youth leader in his life. He had Carrie in his life, my son, our campus ministry. He had people all around him, but he chose to imitate people that were people that in becoming like them, they blew, he blew his chance for life. He's been in and out of jail constantly, not jail, prison, in and out for years. Eight or nine kids by different, mom, uh, different ladies and no relationship with any of them. And you know where those kids are headed? The same place. You've got to make sure, Timothy says, listen, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to make sure that you know it's by grace. Remember what God's given to you. Get in a relationship to where it's a father, mother, older brother, a relationship that's close and innocent. And make sure you, when you choose these relationships, don't pick somebody that if you imitate them, you're not going to get closer to Jesus. For some of you, you pick people that you feel comfortable with, and the very people that you feel comfortable with are going to destroy your life because they don't know how to do what's right. Yeah, you feel comfortable. So you go down holding hands, whistling down the road as you head to the bridge out that's going to destroy you. Make sure that you're finding somebody to imitate and make sure that you're trying to become someone who is imitable. Then number four, he says, listen, Timothy, as you do all of this, you're my son, and I want you to know that you can look at me. You've watched me. You've heard me teach. You know what I do. You know how I behave. You can imitate me. In this relationship, this isn't just about you and I. This is about you and I giving this to somebody else. You've got to be intentional. My question for all of you in your youth group, who is it that right now that you're involved in their life to make sure that they find a relationship with God that will bless them in this life and forever? Who is it that you're involved in that you're showing them a pathway that's going to show them how to have a better life now and the best life forever? You see, over the last 10 years, I've did too many funerals for 20 to 30-year-olds who've OD'd. I've had too many calls consoling moms of 18-year-olds who are not living any longer. I've done too many talks sitting down for years with alcoholics and drug addicts and crack addicts and watched their lives fall apart before them. And I want you to know that the only way that that's going to change is if some of you decide that you're going to change yourself, allow God to change you, and you're going to change them. That you're going to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be someone who is trustworthy in the things that I've been taught you're not just going to sit on your butt in a chair. You guys come to youth group and like, okay, come here, just sort of feed, take care of me. You were designed to be taken care of so, so you could take care of somebody else. And if our youth groups are going to be what they're going to be, it's time to stop making excuses. It's time to stop being selfish, and it's time to step up and go, okay, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to get with my youth leader. I'm going to have them teach me so that I can get with someone else and teach them, and we're going to have a life together that's amazing. This is alumni weekend at the retreat. And I want you to, guys, we've got some stories that we're going to tell. We want to show you what can happen with a life-changing legacy. So we've got four ladies that I'm asking to come up right now. And you guys are all going to come up. And they're going to tell you what you're going to get to see is kind of how it plays out when a person is committed not just to dunking somebody in water or having them come to a youth group, but when they are committed to really being what God wanted them to be. And we're going to start off with a lady that I met when she was Colleen Kleibacher. 
right? Is that really? I did that. I remember that. That's un, how can you forget forget a name like Kleibacher, right? That's like yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's a French name. Um, not really. <laughs> but uh, I met Colleen right after she had been reached out to on the campus by another lady I think that's here this weekend. Was it Coral or Rena that reached out to? Okay. So she's going to tell you a little bit about where she started, and then we're going to just have this chain kind of thing that goes on of influence and of a relationship that is leaving a legacy. Okay. So um, I was a freshman at SIUE, and um, I was in between classes and just hanging out like in the common area and just, you know, watching people go by and thinking about, you know, what am I doing here? I was, you know, as a freshman, you're new to the school and it's your first time leaving home. I was excited, but yet I was very um, insecure as to um, who I was and everything. So, um, but I was sitting there and just waiting for my next class and everything. And this lady comes up to me and uh, she stopped to ask me some questions, and I'm thinking, okay, why not? You know, I have nothing better to do. And she's doing a survey, and there's only like four questions, and it was just about who I was, where I'm from, um, and then a question about God. And so then that led to a conversation about, um, you know, how did you grow up, and, you know, and just my family background and everything. Well, she invited me to the Bible talk. They were called Bible talks, not cross checks back then. But she invited me to a Bible talk on campus, and I had a class during that time. So I was like, ah, you know, tough luck. Sorry, I can't go. And but she took my number, and I go back to my apartment on campus, and um, she followed up. So she called me like the next day or two days later, something like that, and. She was like, hey, I was just, you know, I know you can't make it to the one on campus, but would you like to come to the one at my house? And I was like, okay, sure. Like, I had no reason to say no. So I was like, oh, man. And uh, I did say, well, I don't have a car. Um, she's like, well, I'll come get you. And I'm like, okay, I guess so. Well, I get off the phone, and I'm thinking, what the heck did I just do? I don't know this lady. I'm going to get in a car with her. All these things, you know, your mom tells you not to do. Here I am doing them. So anyhow, the next week I go to her house, and I was blown away. Um, I walk in, and there's the smell of chili cooking. People are in the kitchen and, you know, having fun, goofing off, being silly, telling jokes. Um, it was a diverse group. Um, you know, there was Darnell and, you know, and uh, Danny and Gary, and just a bunch of different people. And so I was like, okay, this is this is cool. And, um, and then we go to sit down for our Bible discussion. And I was like, wow, people are being real and telling like a part of them. And I'm like, I'm not used to this, you know? And, uh, so then the lady who invited me to this Bible talk said, Hey, why don't we have a one-on-one -on -one Bible study? After, you know? And I was like, well, that seems kind of cool. I, I enjoyed what I was having at her house. So I was like, okay, let's do a one-on-one -on -one thing. So we set that up well, and it was going great, and I was excited. I was learning tons, and I'm like, man, I've never had this before. I've gone to church all my life, and I've never had this kind of intimacy in learning about God. Well, I call home, you know, talk to my mom, and I'm like, you'll never believe what I'm learning. I met this cool lady, and I'm telling her the whole story, and she's like, oh, that's nice. Well, just be careful. I'm like, okay. 
well, I've kind of gotten over that hump of being careful. And, and uh, so, you know, every week I'd call and share and talk and, oh, just be careful. I'm like, okay, but I don't know what that means. So next thing you know, you know, our, our studies led up to getting baptized. And I'm like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And I'm like, finally have the greatest relationship with God. So it's spring break. I go home and I tell my parents, thing in my life and they were ready to take me to go see a psychiatrist they thought I'd gone plum crazy they're like you're coming home for the summer you're gonna um, we're gonna get you an appointment um, you just need to go back to school and not talk to anybody any of those people ever again I was like what the heck just happened and I was devastated so my, my hometown was an hour from school. I cried the entire way home. I think, what in the world just happened? My world turned upside down. Funny thing is, I think that was the name of our campus ministry, Upside Down Fellowship. So um, I get back to my apartment. None of the other girls had been back from spring break yet. It was cold, dark, lonely. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? The lady who had studied with me calls me because she knew I had been coming, was going to be back. Hey, how are you doing? How'd it go? And I, I was kind of hesitant about picking up the phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, my parents told me not to pick up and talk to this person ever again. I picked it up, and it was the best decision ever. She, and I'm telling her how my week went back home. She said, meet me at Hardy's, and we'll talk. So we go back to Hardy's, and we're revisiting some of the scriptures, you know, love God more than your family, love God more than your own life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's tough. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, but what about this? What about that? So we had to visit a lot of scriptures again, which is okay, but it made it sink in and stick. So we get through all of that, and I call my parents when I get back, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm doing this. This is what I'm going to do. And they're like, well, all right, if you're going to do this, then we're not paying for your school anymore, and we're not going to get you a car, and you're just going to have to figure it out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's another blow to the stomach. I'm like, what do you mean I'm going to have to figure it out? I mean, okay, so I grew up very sheltered, and my parents paid for a lot of my stuff, and I'm thinking, well, how do I do this, you know? Well, um, the cool thing is, people from God's family stepped in and invested me in me again, you know, helping me figure things out, helping me, you know, by providing for me sometimes um, a place to stay, money, giving me rides, those things. And um, today I'm very grateful, and back then I probably, I was a kid, you know, I <laughs> didn't probably show my gratefulness as much. But um, so... Moving beyond that, um, you know, I ended up moving in with um, some girls for the summer. I told my parents I wasn't coming home. And then, um, and then I get the news that the lady who would studied with me was getting a divorce, and um, she was leaving and wasn't going to be doing campus ministry anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. 
And I remember having a conversation with her saying, how can you stand here and tell me you're not going to fight for your family when you sat in Hardee's and told me to fight for your relationship with God and, you know, put your priorities in place? And I don't know. It was confusing to me at the time, and I was very discouraged. But again, God's people in the ministry stepped in to encourage me and love on me. And um, from there, um, Rita stepped into my life and helped me to continue to grow and move, move on. So I was kind of on the sidelines when all of this was going on with uh, Colleen, and I knew part of the story. I didn't know all the story, but I was on the sidelines. I was actually, at that time, working with the young adult ministry. Uh, I would like to say they wanted me to come in to work with the campus ministry because I'm so cool, you know, but that wasn't it. They didn't have anybody else. So they said, so can you go ahead and work with the uh, young adults and help with the campus ministry? And I was like, sure, I can do that. I have all the time in the world. Great. This will be fun. So I'd been watching on the sideline, watching Colleen and just the things that she had gone through. I knew her story. Um, I knew how committed she was. I mean, she did what the Bible talks about when it talks about giving up your mother, your father, your sisters, your brothers in order to follow. And so I knew her heart. And so whenever I started working in the campus ministry, I was excited to be able to work with Colleen. Um, and during that time, Colleen, if any of you know her, for some of you that know her, she can be a little bit of an airhead is what we call her. And um, we actually, she moved in with Robert and I. She was engaged at this time, uh, and she was, <laughs> she was like, okay, I need a place to live just for a few months, you know. And we're like, sure, you can share the room with Ashley. So she moves in with us during this time. And um, during the t this time, and for the next probably, I don't even know how many years, Colleen and I have worked together, not only working together and helping her grow to become even more spiritual and grow in her walk with God. But we worked side by side in a dental office for 12 years, I think it was. Um, so we have been with each other through the thick and through the thin of things. And it's just been really cool watching her mature, watching her grow, you know, and I think just God blessing her life because of the commitment she made when she was in college. She made a decision to do things that weren't easy, that were really hard. And I know some of you are, are faced or you're going to be faced with some of the same decisions that Colleen had to make. And I look at Colleen's life now and I'm like, it's just so cool because God has blessed her. He, God's blessed her marriage. God's blessed her children because she chose to follow him and do the hard things and do what's right. And because of that, it's really cool how it worked out. As I was studying with her and we were discipling and just growing together, she and, and her husband, when they got married, decided, oh, we're going to work with the junior high ministry. That would be awesome. So they start working with the junior high ministry. And at that time, my daughter, Ashley, was in junior high. And so during this time, she started working with my daughter, Ashley, and helped her mature and grow. Okay. Enters 1993 me with my grunge flannel around my waist and fresh Penny Hardaway's on and lip smacker um, <laughs> and curled bangs also. That was a thing. Um, 
<laughs> Some days, I, like I hear like 1993, 94, I'm like, gosh, that seems so long ago. It was. But when I look at, like when I look at Colleen and, um, you know, it seems as fresh as yesterday. Um, dang. Stop. Don't look at me. Um, I had a really, I had really great parents. I was a church kid. I had a, I had a really good life. But I think God very knew very intricately what I needed, um, and I needed something even more. Um, and I was incredibly blessed by having Colleen. Um, I looked at her as a little girl or as a young girl, junior high girl, and I remember thinking she's pretty and she's smart, even though she's ditzy sometimes, <laughs> and she's fun. And I just want to be. She loves people, and I just want to be like her. Um, so she became my junior high leader um, after we were roommates when I was in elementary school. And um, she was like more of a sister. You know, she was a friend, a sister, a leader, and all those things. Um, I think about the times that, that uh, she invested in me. And you guys know junior high and high school, like, it can suck sometimes, right? It can be tough. People screw you over. Things get hard. Um, your insecurities are tested, everything. Everything that we've, we've talked about already, probably last night in your rooms, happens, right? Um, but when, when I think of my time in junior high, it wasn't like a train wreck. I actually remember really loving those years, even in, in, while they were hard, because I had someone very constant in my life um, to guide me and to teach me and to love me. Um, she was fun. I remember she got in her head to redecorate the junior high room because we actually had a junior high room on Wednesday nights that was like our cross chat at the time. Um, and all, she got all my friends, like my guests, and we went and we splatter painted the room, like just with all different colors because that was what was in style. You know, there's paint everywhere. Um, and But it looked, it was like the coolest thing. Uh, she, did, she did fun little things like that. Um, I was at her house often. Um, spending the night just eagerly awaiting for Ryan to be born. I remember, like, I'm going to have, like, a little brother or something. <laughs> it's weird. Like, it just, she was my family. Um, you know, I remember her coming up to my lunches at school, you know, when I was having a hard time with my friends, you know, or feeling alone, and she'd sit with me, and she was, like, the cool sister that came, you know, and it made it all better. Um, there were so many things that she added you know, to my young life, and it really did shape the way that I viewed, you know, God and family and the way that it was supposed to be. Um, and she really did instill just that dream, help, helped instill that dream in me to be something more, to be someone that could leave everything I've known or everything that was comfortable to me behind because God called me to. Um, and that showed up in a different form for me as I went into high school. You know, I actually survived my high school years barely at different points because my dad almost killed me numerous times. Um, and she'd have to call me and be like, knock it off. Um, but I did survive high school. And as I got into college, I was, I was a young college student. I was 17 um, when I started college. And um, I got into the campus ministry. It was ACB at the time. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, but I remember when I was about, I don't know, 18, 17, 18, they, our church started talking about church plants and, and going out. And this would have been the first one ever um, back when we lived in Alton still. And I remember, well, kind of the first one. I remember thinking, you know, that would be kind of cool. But like Alton's all I've ever known. 
I, you know, I never lived, like, I don't remember anything before this time. The church then, that was my family, you know, everything that was good and pushing and comfortable to me thrived in, and lived in that, in that place. Um, so I don't know why I, I thought of that. I think I attribute that a lot to just the dream and the, the pushing of that. Um, and I remember it just sitting on me like, man, maybe, maybe I should do that. You know, maybe I, I should consider going on a church plant. Um, so anyway, I met RJ and we got engaged and then the church plant plans really became reality. They really, we're looking at places. We're starting to pick who wants to go, um, who's thinking about it. And I remember going to my dad's room one night, my mom and dad's room, um, when I was in college and I was engaged and I remember saying, Hey, we should do this again. Like, you know, I was little, I was real little. I don't even remember when Greater Alton started but you guys did it. You know, we did it as a family. What if we went out on the next one? What if, what if I, what if I helped teenagers and stubborn junior high kids so they could survive <laughs> and not just survive, but thrive? Like, what if we did it again? And, um, I remember my dad kind of be like, huh, you know, like, I think he thought about it, but maybe not to a large extent, you know, up until that point. Um, and so that's what happened, you know. Um, I got married in December, and I moved on our first church plant to St. Charles County in March, you know. So a new, whole new, a whole new world started, and I left everything that was comfortable behind. And starting the church plant was super, super uncomfortable, uh, more than you know. But it ended up being one of the greatest blessings of my life because within that first year of doing the youth ministry, I would come to know a Katie Patterson time and actually how I found out about Katie was Matt Cauley and Ryan were dry we're, were at school as part of the church plant and they were driving out of the parking lot and they said some girl when they waved at him or did something they were like she she's really really hot but she turned she flipped us off and I was like invite her to cross chat <laughs> you know like get her there and so you know they did and entered uh Katie Patterson and I'll let her tell you kind of how that story went from there <laughs> Um, that is a true story. <laughs> um, gosh, I would say for me, um, as a teenager, I was promiscuous. I was, um, I was really lonely. And I think something that I did constantly was search for attention um, through boys, through men. Um, I think it was because growing up, I, um, I longed for that, and I didn't really receive that. Um, from my dad, who was, I was a daddy's girl, and, you know, we bonded over sports, and um, I was an athlete, and that's the way we bonded, but I struggled with ever feeling good enough. I struggled with um, failure a lot. I think that because I felt I wasn't good enough for my dad, that there was nothing good in me, that I was never going to be good enough. Um, so I think that turned over to searching and looking for attention through guys. Um, I was someone who, um, I was just a mess, but I was lonely. And um, I knew I wanted something more. I wanted something different, but I didn't know what that was. And thankfully, um, you know, I was invited to cross chat. And I remember at the time, you know, it was a it was a brand new church plant. I mean, there was not this. I mean, it was actually, I was the only girl. <laughs> and at the time, you know, I did, I had Ashley who, 
who poured a lot of time into me. Um, and at the time, being a teenager that was, you know, insecure and lonely, you know, I, I thought, why is she spending this time with me? Why does she want to get to know me? Why does she care? And she started dreaming for me, um, encouraging me, challenging me, correcting me, lots of things. And um, I got involved in a lot of sin during that time in the youth ministry. I hid a lot of sin. I hid a lot of um, hurts, things I didn't really want to get help with at the time because I was trying to just numb the pain. Um, but Ashley still, she fought for me. Um, one of my favorite memories with Ashley is... It was Rita's car. It was that green bug, but I'll never forget it. Um, it sticks with me, but, you know, she picked me up. We went to the mall together. Ashley loves to shop. We all know that. <laughs> um, but I do, too. I do, too. And we went to the mall, and, you know, I remember, like, circling racks, and we were just, like, walking around the racks, just, like, going through clothes. But it was weird. I was like, I don't really think we're here to shop. I think she's trying to get to know me more. And I remember feeling something that I had always longed for. Um, I felt a genuine care from her. I felt it felt real. For the first time, it felt like real love. Um, and she asked me questions. Um, she just wanted to get to know me. And for that, um, at that time, like I said, in the youth ministry, I was someone who still continued to fight. Um, but I did. I still had a lot of hidden sin. I still didn't talk about a lot that was going on in my life. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of time in the youth ministry, um, but I continued to fight. I ended up going to Lindenwood. Um, I stayed there, and I still, my freshman year, um, still battling with a lot of hidden sin and not talking about what was really going on in my life. I finally decided to, to be real about what was going on in my life, um, confess a lot of sin, um, repent. And I, for the first time, I decided I'm going to take my walk with God seriously. Um, I repented. I studied and studied and studied out what repentance looked like and how it showed up in my life. And I wanted truly to be a committed follower. Um, and I remember Ashley still during that time, and then insert, you know, now I'm in the campus ministry, insert Carrie and Hannah, but their whole family and what they mean to me, they never gave up on me. Um, they continued to dream for me. Um, now I work in campus ministry, which it has my heart. Um, I get to work with girls who um, have a lot of brokenness in their lives, um, who felt a lot like me, lonely, depressed, angry, promiscuous, um, just girls who are longing for something more. Um, and I get to work with those girls. This is, I've been to every family vacation, um, so this is, I guess, my 10th one, but I love it. I always look forward to coming back because I get to be with those girls, but I get to pass on what all these women did behind me, and I get to continue to do that. Um, and I think one of the girls that, you know, she's now leading a church plant, but has, you know, she became one of my best friends. But when she moved over here, she was a hot mess just like me. But, you know, there was a lot of things that she wasn't honest about or real about. And she was bitter and she was angry and she was sad and she was lonely. Um, and I remember just taking her under my wing and dreaming for her. Um, 
she told me earlier, she reminded me I paid for her counseling, which is kind of funny. But um, <laughs> but I remember just fighting so hard for her because I wanted her to deal with those things in her life. I wanted her to deal with her sin. Um, she's here this weekend with her own church plant, um, with her own girls. And I just want, like, It's hard because I look out, and this is the teen ministry, but at that time, all I had was Ashley. It wasn't a bad thing, but I look out, and I'm like, gosh, you guys have each other. Like, the youth ministry was so small then. And I think a lot I looked into, like, who's going to pour into me? Who's going to do something for me? But it wasn't until I changed that mindset to who can I pour into that God really started blessing my life. And I feel like with you girls and how big of a ministry you have, and you guys too, um, but you have such an awesome opportunity to not just have the leaders pour into you, but some of you older girls and guys. Like, you get to pour into some of the freshmen and the sophomores. Like, I didn't have that in the youth ministry at the time, not because, but we were, it was a brand new church plant. There was no one else. It was just Ashley. But, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm so encouraged now that you guys have a, a bigger youth ministry. But that just means that you guys have to step up. It shouldn't be the leaders. It should be some of the older guys and girls pouring in, you guys pouring into the younger um, girls and guys. But um, I get to work in campus ministry now. I love it. Um, it's blessed my life. I met my husband. We have children. We still work in the campus ministry. My children are blessed because of campus ministry um, in this church in general. But um, I'm just really grateful, and I hope that you guys will continue to pass on that legacy as well. The one thing I hope that you guys all recognize is that the girls that were up here are just all ordinary girls. They have strengths, they have weaknesses, but they're not unlike you guys and you girls. What's different about them is a radical commitment to God. And they honestly, if you look back and you talk about what, what they've said, you heard every one of them talk about how good God had been to them. Their strength is in knowing that God has been good to them, that they have allowed God's grace to make their relationship with him strong. They've also got, they all mentioned relationships with people that were intimate. You see, when Katie says there were things that she hid in the, during the youth ministry, you see, those things, it's a very general thing when she speaks, but as she began to share, it was a very vulnerable and open thing, very, very specific about sin and details and things that are embarrassing. As they were in those relationships, though, not only were they being intimate and sharing things, but they were sharing them with people that could help them. They weren't just saying things to get them off their chest to somehow feel better. Oh, it's okay, everybody. But they were sharing with somebody who was really a person who represented Christ well, who was going to help them become like Christ, with someone that was imitable. And as you listen to them, it was very intentional that they were doing this. They wanted to be better for God, and they wanted to be better for you. All the things that we talked about with Timothy going on happened with them, and the church plant and the churches that we're doing would not be where we are without those ladies. Now, my question for you guys is, is who do you have and what are you doing in those relationships that are there? Are you someone, who do you have that's like Colleen had when she was involved with Rita? Who do you have that's like Ashley had when she was involved in Colleen? Who is that person that is willing to invest in you and willing to give your best? And then I want to ask you, who is it that, that that person, and hopefully you say, well, that's my small group leader. That's really who it should be. But what do they have when they have you? Do they have somebody that was like 
Colleen, who whenever their mom says, listen, don't study the Bible, don't talk with those people, says, no, I'm going to do what God wants and I'm going to connect with this person. I'm going to go for this relationship even though there's pain involved. And by the way, Colleen became a Christian and before long, she became the most respected girl in our family. When they looked at her life and the way that she had changed, it was something that, that, that was cool to watch. And while they, they never followed Colleen's path in embracing Christ, they were very glad her, her, her dad and her mom could see that the change in her life was good because of the way she lived. But Colleen was devoted. She had somebody that was devoted to her, but she was devoted. And the thing that I see a lot of times, especially with teenagers, is you guys go, man, I wish things were different, but you have people in your life, but you don't connect with them. You don't pursue them. You're not honest with them. And the one thing that you see in this relationship that if you're going to pass it on, you have to have someone who is committed and mature and somebody who is committed that's not yet mature, and they have to be committed to Christ and each other. Paul will end up by saying, here's the thing, listen. He goes, I want you to find some reliable men, some reliable women who can pass this on to others. My question is, are you a reliable man or woman? What's going to happen when the church goes into your hand and this ministry goes into your hands? And guys, you can already see it by going, okay, how many new committed followers of Christ do we have in our youth group because of me? Ask yourself that question. Because Paul ends by saying, listen, Timothy, get some, get some people that are remi- reliable. And then he says, listen, the bottom line is if you're not committed to this, all this other junk won't happen. It's not just saying I need somebody in my life. You need to be committed to somebody in your life. It's not just saying you're going to be, I need somebody to be in it with. You're committed whether you like it or not to where you're sharing your struggles, confessing your sins, and getting help. It's not enough just to say, I want somebody who's imitable in my life. There has to be a, com- a commitment to say, I'm not just going to pat them on the back and go, I'm glad you're in my life. I'm going to become like them. And it's not just enough to say, I need to be intentional. We need to make, you've got to be committed to it. So Paul ends by saying, Timothy, endure suffering. Look at the word pictures and the word that call you to commitment. He says, Timothy, endure suffering. This isn't going to happen without suffering. It's not going to be easy. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier. This is a war. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life because if they do, they can't please the officer who enlisted them. Athletes, athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit. Hardworking, following the rules, not tied up in civilian life. A soldier, someone who's suffering, someone who's enduring, there is a commitment that you have to have. And I want to challenge you guys to begin to dream. You are the generation that typically the, de- the dream dies in. I mean, for those of you, for, you know, if I look at Kennedy and if I look at Jackson and if I look at Malachi somewhere, you guys need to know you are the generation that normally, statistically, kills the dream. Because what happens is they've enjoyed the benefits of the dream, but they never get to the point to where they are committing to sacrifice for the dream. They didn't see all that was involved in making it happen. They just enjoyed what happened, and they enjoyed it, but their enjoyment was selfish that never led to sacrificial service. I want to challenge you guys this weekend to decide you're going to be the ones who leave a life-changing legacy, that you're going to talk to your friends, that you're going to live for Jesus in a way that your friends can see, 
And you're going to get one of those friends, and you're going to be in a relationship, and you're going to teach, and you guys are going to become best friends and pass that on. You see, the relationships that Ashley had with Colleen still go. The relationships with Marcy, the relationships with Katie, they're forever. Carrie's got Marlon here. He's out of jail, out of prison. He's off parole now. That's an awesome thing. He's got Juan. He's got so many people. I'm praying that you guys will have that someday too. We're going to pray, and you got to get out of here. But let me beg you to, to, to really think about what we've talked about today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do. God, I pray that you'll make a difference in our lives so you can make a difference through our lives. Help us, God, I'm just praying for the teens. Help them not to be spoiled spiritual brats. Father, help them not to just simply live and enjoy the dream that somebody else sacrificed for, but, Father, help them to be willing to sacrifice to pass that dream on to others. God, it's great to be together, Father. I am so excited about what could happen because, God, the kids, the teenagers, the young men and women in this room, Father, are way ahead of where I was whenever I was their age. But, Father, you changed me and did some pretty neat stuff. And, Father, you can do some really cool stuff with them if they'll really surrender and make a determination they're going to live a, leave a life-changing legacy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love. It's in his name we pray. Amen.